You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. It's been a busy hour. I want to know, has the rain stopped in New South Wales? Yeah, uh, Stuart Thomas is our guest, arriving via Zoom. Uh, Stuart, welcome to FNR. Good evening, George. Have you got me loud and clear? Yeah, we have, actually. Uh, there's just a little bit of an echo in the background, but that's okay. It's probably the water in your uh, in your swimming pool. It's um, It's been awful, but I must admit, this afternoon, things have really cleared. We've had a bit of sun. I'm sort of on the back of a, a rural sort of situation and we, we've got water running in all sorts of different directions. Wow. But it looks like the next few days that we'll get some relief. So I'm far from uh, less stressed than many people in New South Wales and other parts of Australia, you know, uh, north and south on the, on the eastern seaboard. But Things are looking a bit better, which is really good to see. I, I, from what I've heard, um, there are people saying to me, you cannot believe the weather we've had in the last uh, year or two. It's been extraordinary. Is that is that but accurate? I, yeah. The, I mean, we went through the... I mean, we. I heard some information about probably seven or eight days ago that the old, the old Nina effect, yep. you know, was essentially over mm. and I'll not... I'm not suggesting that was false information. No, but um, this this recent five to six days of heavy rain has just really shown us how significant the previous two to three months were. Because as soon as water hit the ground here in New South Wales, it it, it wouldn't run away. Mm. There was obviously so much under the surface that um, it just sat on 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 the surface, so to speak, and it was just incredible. Uh, that there's obviously been such a backlog. I guess the best thing we can hope for is a really uh, a fire season that doesn't impact too severely oh, on people. Yeah. Hopefully, oh, our, hopefully our, we have so much moisture that that will maybe give us a bit of relief for you know what could you know what is always a scary time of year in Australia when when the, when the bushfire season rolls around. Well, there's a reason why it becomes dangerous because all the rains tend to do one thing, and that is they fuel. Those areas, they are, they they supply wonderful moisture, and of course that leads to great growth. And then, of course, come the the summer months, um, you know, you don't need much to set the flames, uh, you know, uh, amongst the forest, and it becomes, uh, as we've seen over the last two years, just horrific. But I'm reminded, you're a teacher. Uh, I'm going to take you back to 1905, and a, and a woman by the name of Dorothea McKellar. She she wrote a poem. Uh, she was in England at the time, and she was rather homesick. And and uh, it was about uh, her country, my country. And she spoke about, uh, uh, you know, the extraordinary uh, sunburned country that she'd left down down under, uh, a land of, um, what is it, ragged mountain ranges and, 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 and hills and whatever. But she Perhaps spoke about the rain. floods yeah. and rains. <laughs> you would have thought that there are governments uh, over the last 100 years they would have listened or learnt some of those lines and t- taken some advantage and thought, let's future-proof Australia. And they've done nothing. They've done nothing. And I'm talking – doesn't forget about poli- the, what, what, what manner of politics it is. All of them, state and federal governments of all persuasions, have done little or nothing. The last great national uh, challenge or uh, project was the Snowy Mountain Scheme. And that's it. 
and they all stopped after that. They thought, what a great job we've done. It's, it's, and they've stopped. You, you think know, about it long uh, and hard. It, it, it's, it's scary. It's funny, George. You know, if I, if I hadn't been here listening to the conversation from the start and I heard you say, uh, we've missed our chance to future-proof the game. The governments haven't given us any help. Oh, it sounds help. like we've football. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, they, they're, they're hand in hand. Mm. Stuart, Stuart's been writing some stories over the last, uh, I suppose, year and a half that I've been paying attention to. And you've sparked my interest every time, Stuart. And I thought, let's get Stuart on air and talk about some of the subject matter that you've talked about. And Simon Hill was on just before you and was talking about uh, the marquees and how not only do we, do we need to get the marquees in, but we've got to get the right type of marquees. And you've spoken about marquees and what they can and, and can't do for the game. Um, just just give us a sense of your school of thought and what we might be able to do this time around to make things a little better. Well, just if I just park the marquees for about five seconds... Yeah, go for and- it refer back to your comments in regards to government. I I was just ranting. I'm sorry. Yeah, No environment and so forth. You're exactly right. And the reasoning is that we all know that governmental policy, unfortunately, as you say, it doesn't matter what type of government you're talking about, has been incredibly short term in terms of its vision and so forth. And as you say, snowy scheme, yes, definitely something that, saw a, a bigger picture, a grander picture, yeah. and that's something that's been so lacking in this country across, and, and you know, uh, Liberals and, and Labors and Greens and, and whatever else. Will I don't care what colour it is. Yeah, and, and, and they're all missing the point. And you're exactly right. The two of you both there saying that the correlation between that disgraceful lack of future vision and mm. football is is the most it is the most perfect metaphor. It is exactly what it what has been wrong with our game. Now that's not to say our game is doomed because I'm one of the most passionate and strongest believers in our game, despite uh, much of the uh, criticism that I might cop in social media because people tend to perceive that calling out problems and a lack of vision is negative. <laughs> I actually prefer to think that it's potentially creating a positive by calling out what's wrong and and hopefully moving forward. Yeah. So I think what 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 you've both said it, it, it is absolutely so applicable to where we are not only as a country, not only as an economy, not only as an environment, but also as a football country. But then you look at the uh, the marquee situation which falls into that because yeah. that is a, is a is a direct uh, what's, what's the word? It's sort of a, it fuels the competition in terms of our top tier of Australian football. And I thought Simon made a fantastic point. Now, I know Simon reasonably well. Simon and I might not agree on 100% of what we discuss, but I do agree with him on most points. And, and we have a very solid common ground in terms of that the past has been uh, re- not rejected. That's probably a little harsh. No, but we've wasted it. Yeah, we've yeah. wasted it. Yeah, and I and I think what is important is when we look at that marquee situation. Yes, what Simon said, they are not a negative thing. It is definitely something that should be invested in, and we have strong history in our competition to show that it can in fact provide a boost. The problem is that when a name like Adele Piero comes to Australia, which has an enormous uh, positive impact upon the competition, upon the game, and, and an array of corporate 
realities. Yeah. The issue is if if there is not another one right after him, what was the point? Mm. And 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 that's what Simon was alluding to in that. Well, has he in fact created? And I think the term he used was "rusted on" group, and he hasn't. You know, he was terrific while he was here. He was, he was. brilliant to watch, yeah. and it was terrific for Sydney FC and the league. And and that and that's great. Everyone should celebrate that. But unless there is another one, and obviously he'd reached an age where he was off, and I think he went off to India and yep. other places yep. to to finish his career but unless there's another one and then another one and then another one the point of that marquee sort of situation can actually be it it can seem quite cynical and it can seem quite hollow now the announcement today and the investment that the 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 a-league slash apl have made in allowing clubs to spend this extra six hundred thousand dollars outside of the salary cap is potentially groundbreaking. I would assume that a portion of that, if not most of it, is from the Silver Lake investment that we've all been in. Anticipating. Yeah, we've wanted to see where this will be spent. So we've potentially created a situation where there there are huge names, as you've spoken about on your program tonight, huge names, being bandied about as potential A-League players in the next three to four months. And that's terrific. Great. Let's go for it. But that extra 600,000 potentially brings in another one to each club. And we could be in a situation where we're looking at a, a game changer might be a little bit too strong, but it certainly looks as though we've got to a point where we've got some money into the game where we might be able to actually offer a package and a, uh, a star package that might be consistent and mm. not just the one-off that then disappears. Uh, you, uh, you speak so clearly and so uh, so much of it is on the money. The thing I'm reminded of again uh, was the risk that Del Piero took with his career and reputation. He put it on the line. And this takes courage. It takes courage for a marquee to say, you know, I'm going to put my my uh, my legacy on the line to play down under and what he did and it's why I have so much time for Del Piero was he said you know what I think I can be a pilgrim I can be a preacher I can be uh, one of those people out there to spread the word Uh, and he was marvelous I also have understood something else from this exercise he got a chance while he was here to improve his English so much so that he's now a very, very uh, regular commentator on English-speaking television mm. and radio, which was something he wasn't that fluent at, and uh, and 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 that was something that he also added to th- this experience. He said, "Not only will I come down here and spread the word and showcase my talents, but I'm also going to further myself." And he gave his family a chance to also enjoy what was a beautiful time in Sydney. And when you, you're exactly right, George. And when you think about, obviously, people on the Eastern Seaboard have been very, very interested and invested in the story of Milos Nikovic oh, and yes. bringing his. I mean, this man was a, a superb footballer. We all knew that when he came here. He probably, there were probably some people who thought, oh, he'll, he might be one of those imports that stays for two or three years and you know, and then disappears. But mm. 
with his children in school and entrenching his family on the eastern seaboard and then watching this man's career unfold, you think, wow, isn't it? You know, part of me thinks that, you know, Del Piero was wonderful for the A-League. There, Emil Heskey was wonderful for the A-League and there have been numerous others. Yep. Part of me also thinks that perhaps the more sustained import or the more sustained investment might actually be better for the league. That Milos Nikovic is probably one of the most popular and most respected players we've had over the last decade. And he hasn't been here that long, but certainly over that period. And is he a brilliant footballer? Yes, he is. Is he, was he of the class in terms of Adele Piero and the international accolades that he received? Probably not. But I think players like that might be better targets. And that's why I think that 600,000 figure, they're talking about a figure of about 2 million when they talk about Fabregas with 50% potentially being paid uh, outside of the club. That's right. And that is a huge figure. Now, is that sustainable across all clubs? Probably not. Certainly not, I would suggest. So perhaps the $600,000 figure outside of the salary cap gives us an option. If we could get 12 clubs to pick up six or seven or eight future Milos Ninkovic's, I think in terms of the long-term benefit, and that's what Simon was referring to, is, mm. is, is doing something that is sustainable over a longer period, that might be a nice target point for us to go for the $2 million and the superstar like Fabregas, okay, you know what? I will actually, I'll, I'll jump on the wagon and say, go for it. I've got no problem. Across 12 clubs, I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah. However, the, 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 the quarter of that, the $600,000 player, I think that might be something that's more sustainable. But it's actually just pleasing that we're in a position now where we're talking about it and that we've actually got that investment there and we've got that money there to, 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 to actually sort of uh, make it make it possible because I think over the last five years, many people were scared that we might not be in that position again. Look, uh, Thomas Sorensen came to uh, yeah. uh, to Melbourne City and the, what he gave the club was a couple of years of actual play, but what he's done behind the scenes mm. and since then has added to the game. He's part of uh, Optus. He's, he, he's gone around and, and, and involved himself with charity after charity. He's been a magnificent ambassador for the game at, at a thousand different levels. And business loves him too. So I'm thinking you bring us this Fabregas, uh, the state government of the day would want to, want to have him on board. Uh, businesses around the country would want to use, you know, what, uh, what, uh, he, what he has to offer to, you know, uh, support and boost the, uh, the showcasing of how to think like a winner, and these guys are winners. They've been mm. they've been travelling the world, playing in the most elite competitions with the biggest clubs in the world. Imagine what they can bring. Well, and you've got to use them properly. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because while you were answering that that question, Stuart, I was thinking to myself, gee, who are the first three players uh, when I think about my history of watching the A League that that you know that come to my brain yep. that I remember most? Dwight fondly. York, and maybe there was a bit of cognitive bias because you just brought up Milos Ninkovic. But genuinely, the 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 first three players that that sort of came to my head. Uh, in terms of foreign players who have come in from overseas, uh, Thomas Broich, oh, yes. Bruno Fornaroli, and yep. I guess Ninkovic would be there as well. And those are exactly those kind of players uh, that you're talking about. But I guess 
I guess the counter argument to that is that, well, those have an appeal to the people who are already in the door, the rusted on football fans, do they have a, an appeal to those that we can convert to that? And I guess the, the marquee is kind of, and we sort of asked this question to, to Simon before, I'll put it to you. If the, if the marquees are our sort of uh, foot in the door, I guess, to any prospective A-League fan, what is that sort of next step or next steps that you see uh, going from the foot in the door to actually getting the potential early customer to to open the door up and and let us in, let us into their homes. What do, yeah. you, what do you see that yeah, as good being? Point. Well, I think it's a really good point because as as I've sort of alluded to, that sort of major marquee is probably not something that's going to be sustainable across mm-hmm. every club. So that middle range is definitely important. Now, Bruish Thomas Bruish, we could probably say he did crack and. Uh, bring people into the Brisbane market. Yep, definitely. Yep. Did 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 Milos Nikovic bring more people to Sydney FC? Probably a small amount, but mm, mm. but I think the point is valid that well, it's not as though he's brought in twenty thousand to every Sydney game extra on top of what they already had. It's also related to the football, though, isn't it? Because I, I think about Broich in particular, and part of the reason that you'd be interested in coming to watch his team and a player like him despite his um, you know, CV not being as large as a Fabregas or something like that, is that Brisbane Raw played brilliant football. Oh, yeah. Uh, Milos Ninkovic at his peak. I mean, some people have their own thoughts about uh, the way Sydney played football, but they got results. And oh, absolutely. And that brings people in the door. I mean, Mel- Melbourne City with uh, Bruno Fornaroli. The team was exciting to watch. And in that sort of 2014, 2015, 2016 years where he was at his best, um, the fans voted with their feet and, and there was regularly 10,000 plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had the Frenchman on one side. We had Bruno mm. and we also had Ross. Every time there was a free kick yeah. taken, he was scoring goals. I mean, they they were exciting players who came on board. And I don't think they have to be absolutely top draw, um, but but it helps <laughs> like, like and anything else. I think, else. George, that's what you were referring to piece that I wrote a few weeks ago in regards to we've got a lot of our best international talent and we're, we're currently experiencing a bit of a boom in terms of, and most of them are, are apparently or appear to be going to Scotland, which is really exciting for oh, everybody. Yeah. But uh, we've got so many of our boys and it's seemingly more over the last sort of six to eight months that there, there is a real recognition of their talent and so forth, which is great for Australian football. Because for too long, we've had so many boys go overseas, sit on the pine for extended periods and waddle back to Australia with their tail between their yeah, legs. And, true. and as good a players as they are, things haven't worked out for a, for myriad reasons. And, and that's okay. But we've had this recent surge. And, and the connection there is that people, I think, and I'm sure you're both across this, but I think many people listening probably need to understand that this is the first generation of footballers that we've had come through with a full experience of the national curriculum. Now, there are negative comments in terms of the curriculum. Is it perfect? Far from it. Is it the solution to make Australian football fantastic? No. Is it going to win Australia a World Cup in 16 years? Probably not. But there is certainly something there that we're now seeing a youth development, and I'm heavily involved in youth development here in Sydney, working with a, a gentleman who is so passionate that he, he does it for free. And to see kids, uh, he's using more of an EFL model than the Australian model. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. 
because he sees some limitations in that. Now, he's perfectly legitimately allowed to do that because he's running a private situation. But there is a, we're seeing boys now coming through that have had the experience of the curriculum right from the beginning, right to the age of, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22. Mm. And all of a sudden, we're seeing more and more of those boys getting recognized overseas and picked up. And, and I think from, and from my perspective, I was a little bit suspicious and skeptical in terms of this curriculum back when I was teaching in private schools and, and coaching football teams and looking at it and thinking, is this sustainable in the long term? But there is something happening that I think is positive for the game in terms of our youngsters. And we are seeing, unfortunately for the A-League, we are seeing players ripped out of our clubs and taken overseas. But in terms of Australian football, we've got to look at that as a positive. Yep. And it also provides opportunities for that, that next wave to come through. So there's a, whole, there's a whole lot of factors that sort of intermingle and that sort of combine to make sense of this whole situation. The marquees are important. We've got to decide whether we've got to decide how big we want the marquees to be, how we also probably need to focus on a good middle range of marquee in that sort of sort of Milos Ninkovic type that gives each club, you know, as you referred to, that quality and class. Mm. But then also have a good think about our boys and where they're going. You know, it's interesting you say that. I have another view on that, and it's to do with the other round ball code, which is basketball. Uh, we don't have any problem, uh, you know, watching young basketballers heading to America to test themselves in the draft. Yeah. And we've, we've seen a whole new wave of energy and exposure, and the game is thriving again as it did in the early 80s when I was uh, at Channel 9 and then went to Channel 10 they 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 had hot programs on television. It was on free to air. Uh, the stadiums that were that were that were uh, you know supporting the game were packed, uh, and there was a lot of buzz around. And here we are again. It's there was a lull. The, the game was almost uh, you know over and about to give itself up mm. when when a, a couple of smart businessmen came on board and th- and said, you know what, we can do this a little bit better. And the same thing is happening to to baseball yeah. in Australia. The round ball code, uh, basketball, is thriving because of the number of Australians overseas at the elite level. Now, we haven't got that at the moment in the round ball code football, but we are doing something where we haven't done before, and that is we're seeing a number of our coaches, Kevin Musket in Japan, a guy called Ange Postacoglu in Scotland, a year ago, you remember, Stuart, uh, when a guy called Alan Brazil laughed at the idea of a Pastor Coglu being chosen to lead one of the great clubs of Scottish. How dare they bring a guy from the Antipodes? I can't even pronounce his name. Um, how, what does he know about football? Well, they've all found out now, haven't they? Well, the best, probably one of the most ironic lines I've ever read in my life is <laughs> a gentleman who said, I'm just trying to get his, his line exactly right, but he was a Celtic fan, and his his comment on social media was something like, we searched around the world, and the best we could come up with was an Australian bloke named Ange. <laughs> and he was absolutely livid. And I simply replied to him, and I said, mate, you have no idea. You have no idea what you're getting. 
because this is a man that he'll strip your club to the floor, mm. but he will he'll build your club into did something you see wonderful. The, did you see the score this morning in Europe? Celtic. No, I didn't. Seven nil. No, oh, that, oh, really? <laughs> I didn't see it. No. Yeah. They, they just they and, and unfortunately, you know, we talk a lot in Australia about you know Euro snobbery and so forth, and that's a real thing. We yeah, understand. Oh, it's that. real. It's alive but, and well. But but the same thing obviously applies uh, in terms of you know flipped over to the other side of you know the world. But they they truly just thought we. We can't. We can't have an Australian. <laughs> not, not that I think they necessarily had an issue with him being Australian. No. But we can't have an Australian that we don't know. We can't have an Australian who coached in Japan. I mean, come on. Isn't it know? fantastic though that the Celtic fans took to Ange so well? They even mm-hmm. managed to do the unmentionable. They actually managed to get his name into a song. Yes, which is more not than, which probably is more some, than hey, one as well. Which is which is some effort, isn't it? Yeah, well, which quite, tells you how much they love the man. It's quite funny as well because I, I'm someone who follows both, um, just because of my family, Scottish football and Australian football. And when that sort of the Ange move first happened, it, we got our relationship got off to a uh, a very rocky start because both <laughs> leagues were kind of pointing at each other and saying, "Why should we listen to you? You're a terrible league. You know, it's a it's it's a boring competition." But over that time, Ange just kind of. He's brought the two yeah. together, and I think yeah. there's quite a nice synergy between um, between Australian and Scottish football now, and they do yeah. recognise the similarities in one another, and we're seeing that from the uh, you know the players who have who've gone both oh, ways, particularly from Australia to Scotland yeah, now yeah. too. There's a young Tottenham uh, uh, centre half, uh, uh, American boy uh, Carter uh, Vickers, and he's now left Tottenham and uh, become a full time player at, at Celtic, and in fact he signed a long term contract. And he said, uh, I, I spoke to Ange, or Ange spoke to me, and he, and he said, I couldn't help but want to be part of his campaign. And that, to me, in essence, is the, the hallmark of any great teacher when, when they can uh, reach out to you and capture your imagination. And we saw it with a guy called um, Otto Rehagel, who managed to somehow get through the thick skins of a bunch of Greek footballers in 2004 and they did the unbelievable and Adidas managed to create a campaign where they used the word impossible and the campaign was impossible is nothing. And Ange here again, to all his, the naysayers, to all the knockers, has said, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. And uh, it's, it's reaping wonderful returns and may long may it continue, but let's not also forget there's a young guy called Kevin Musket who had a checkered career at various times and he's doing some great things. Mm. And there are other Australian coaches, uh, Joe Montemuro in, uh, in Italy with the women's, doing some tremendous things. Uh, and there are, of course, a bunch of Australian footballers, female and male, who was showcasing to the world that just because you're from Australia doesn't mean you can't play. Yeah, and <laughs> the irony, fun. George, I guess, is that so many of the things that I've written over, over, you know, over the last two to three to four, but you know, seven years in total. Yep. There's so much uh, commentary around. Oh, it's negative. It's this and this, and you think, no, 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 no. There, there. We have so many footballers. We have we have players playing in in at the top level. In, uh, I'm just thinking about um, 
Alan Mabil's new oh, yeah. contract. In I'm thinking about in, in, Matty in Ryan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and, and I'm thinking about the, the elevated level that is now in international football where we talked about, and this is a very controversial thing that some people will take up and, and, and call me all sorts of horrible names, <laughs> but we, we, had a, we had a Premier League, well, what was originally, you know, an English, you know, top league or division one, whatever we used to call it, mm. where African footballers were, were not really a part of it. And we, we've, the game has broadened. We have, we have footballers from Asia, from Africa, from yep. North Africa, from who have all come to the Premier League. Yep. And of course we once had six, seven, eight players playing at that level. Well, we don't now. And that is for the exact same reason why England don't have as many players playing in that competition because the world now plays in that competition. Exactly. So our boys have been forced to step back a division or, you know, or, or move to another country or head off to, to Belgium or to, 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 to uh, Germany. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah and exactly. And, and to play there. They are not lesser footballers. They are, they are just as competent. But that competition with its ridiculous financial situation oh, yeah. has created this elitism that, let's face it, Many of our boys who had a little bit of a crack there many years ago wouldn't wouldn't yeah. survive there well, these it, days. It's almost but, it's almost progressed to the point where it's it's almost not just uh, Euro snobbery, is it? It, it? There is almost a level of Premier League snobbery there because course. it is easy to forget oh. that yes, some people do view the Premier League as the sort of alpha and omega of, of <laughs> European competition, but you have uh, you have players as you've mentioned, Stuart, who are. Uh, playing or about to be playing in La Liga. You obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. had Aiden Frustic, who was at Eintracht Frankfurt as yep. well. Like, yep. if you look outside of the, um, you know, the utopia that is the Premier League, there are still players who are, you know, playing their mm. trade at that very solid European level. And the Premier League is is a different kettle of fish now to to what it once was in those those days you're referring to. Before I let you go, yeah. uh, Stuart, I I want to th- take the time to to say thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep stirring the pot. Uh, it's not negativity. It's just making us think, and I love that. Um, here's something I want you to, to do. Uh, because our programming uh, allows us to go beyond the normal realm of um, what old radio used to do, That it always had boundaries. Uh, streaming radio has no boundaries. We go around the world. So if Tom Rogic is listening, what <laughs> advice do you have for Tom Rogic tonight, Stuart? Well, the first thing I would say that a little bit of the stuff that I read over the last... 24, 48 hours and Graham Arnold's comments in, in regards to, you know, texting and not getting a response. I actually felt a little bit uncomfortable about that. I I was really concerned and I hope Mm. he's okay. And I don't know the full, and I'm sure I, I doubt anyone really knows, you know, the full story of exactly what's happening at this point. And, and we know that there's obviously been the turning down of a significant contract that looked quite appealing. There's been rumours, well, potentially, you know, he'll pop back in Australia. The, the best thing, the one thing I can say about Tom Rogic is that probably Tom Tom played his football at Tuggeranong in yes. Canberra. Yeah, exactly. And I just had a relative of mine. I spend a fair bit of time in Canberra because I have relatives down there. And uh, my uh, young niece Carly was just here for two nights, and they're they're from a place called Caldwell, which is literally five minutes down the road from Tuggeranong. And every time I go down there and stay with them, I, I always say, you know, Tom Rogic is from Tuggeranong, <laughs> and they say, and, and they're not massive football fans, and we have a bit of a chuckle. And 
and in terms of, you know, grassroots football and where players come from, you know, I, I find that quite moving to know that this boy came from this very, very cold, humble little place on the south side of, south side, sorry, yep. of Canberra yep. and elevated himself to a socceroo. And when I first saw him play, I just thought, wow, he, he, Tom Rogic and Aidan Krustic, to me, are the two players that when I've seen them play for the Socceroos, I've sort of said out loud, that's the best player in the team. They they are they are both outstanding. Tom was absolutely brilliant. Then he went off to Celtic and he and he and he's played his role with the Socceroos. He probably hasn't quite hit the heights. Aiden Krustic is proving to everyone how wonderful he is. But oh, yeah. I'm a little bit concerned about Tom's next move. Uh, not that I would ever be arrogant enough to give him advice as to where that should be, but I, I hope he makes a decision and he moves somewhere. And if that is to Melbourne City or to Brisbane Raw or to Perth Glory or to Central Coast Mariners, I hope he makes a decision that truly makes him happy because there seems to be a, a growing feeling that he's he feels a little bit I won't say lost, but he feels a little bit unhappy where he is right now, That's and he's looking for something else. So, I, inter- I, interesting I, comment from you because uh, I was listening earlier today to a fifteen, sixteen minute co- um, interview w- with um, uh, Nick Kyrgios, and mm. Nick Kyrgios was talking about. Um, uh, they asked him why he had taken so much time uh, on on the court. Um, with his head down, and he and he sat there and he said, "I I was just thinking how far I've come in such a short time." He said because over the last couple of years there were many times when I thought I've fallen out of love with this game. Um, I don't want to play it. I've been playing it since I was seven, and this, that, and the other. Uh, he he was thinking uh, self harm. He was thinking all those terrible things uh, we don't want our our young men and women to have to go through. But he was brave enough on global television to to actually open up for a moment and give us a glimpse of some of the the things that rushed through his mind at a million miles an hour. And I'm reminded of just how complicated a world we live in today and the challenges of young men and women who have had to, you know, address and and start to live their lives in the world of social media. Uh, No one's had any training in social media. And, yeah. and I can tell you that to- the levels of toxicity, had they been around when I started in television 100 years ago, um, I may well have rethought some of the things that I, that I was doing or was prepared to do. So yeah. I, I marvel um, at, at um, the last uh, few days of this uh, remarkable campaign that um, young Kyrgios is mounting he has his doubters. He has his his not his, uh, his naysayers and critics, and Lord knows there are a few of them, and they come from everywhere. But I'm reminded also of what a prodigious talent he is. Now, does that let him off? No, no, it doesn't let him off. But he's also growing. Yes, he's a late bloomer. Uh, he's 27, but the young Rogic is also going through some challenges. I'm not suggesting for one moment they're the same, but there might be some things that uh, have also um, uh, chilled him when it comes to, you know, how much he loves the game or doesn't love the game. Um, we and wish it's him, interesting. Yeah, that we wish him all the best. It. Yeah, and, and 
Tom Rogic is probably, well, I mean, I'm uh, I'm not guessing at this. This is reasonably well informed, but I doubt he's had a more stronger advocate than Ange Postacoglu through his career. Too shame. has always been there, and he loves Tom, and that's why he's there at Celtic, or has been there at Celtic Plain. So the, after the season they've just had, for Tom to now be looking a little bit lost and looking elsewhere and not feeling comfortable, that, that sort of suggests that there's something inside him that's, that he's not fulfilling right now and he needs to look elsewhere. So I just hope that he finds that place and he, he lands somewhere where we can still see Tom play for the next five, six, seven years because at his age, he's got plenty of football in front of him. And also, from a soccer perspective, that's important that we do that because I still think if we pick our best 11 at a World Cup, I still think Tom Rogic is a part of it. You know what? We're in the World Cup and we're playing Tunisia. We're playing um, who else? France and Denmark. France and Denmark. Denmark. I reckon, you know what? Denmark are a very good side. Don't mark my words. But um, uh, but they're, they're beatable. I'm well, not saying we, we're going to beat we them. We got a draw against them in 2018. Correct. I know it's four years is a long time. Correct. But still. And it's all about attitude. And I'm reminded time and time and time again how, mm. how, life, how different life can be when you, t- you adopt a different mentality, a different attitude. Positivity is everything. Not everyone can do it and, and actually walk the walk. You know, a lot of people can pretend, uh, but if they can, if we can all get them on the same page, you only have to do it for one or two games to get to the next yeah. level. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Anyway, um, listen, Stuart, it's been terrific uh, chatting and, and, and chewing the fat about uh, a number of different topics. Thank you for, um, for joining us today and helping us get through what has been an hour and a half of, uh, of uh, uh, a very busy hour on FNR. Uh, I, I trust we can find you and do some more because I know you're getting yourself ready for another long gig. You've got a second test coming up, Australia, Sri Lanka in Sri Lanka. Um, and um, the first test only lasted three days. And, well, I've heard reports this afternoon that I think at least five Sri Lankans are down with COVID. Oh, so no. Dear, dear. It, it looks, it, yeah, the game appears to be going ahead, but it's certainly going to be a big challenge. And then we move on to a, a feast. Of, with, you know, we've got A-League obviously not too far away, but the builders and... and all sorts of things happening. So it is a busy, busy time, but it has been an absolute pleasure to talk, George. I really appreciate it. No worries at all. I'm getting myself ready to see Crystal Palace uh, play at the MCG. And uh, Patrick Vieira has managed to do something that I didn't think anyone could do uh, at uh, Crystal Palace. He's made them look like a unit and a half. Yeah. And (laughs) they had some results. No, no, they had some results. And he's managed to find some young players uh, who have got the skills uh, and they also understand how to entertain. And that wasn't always the case at Crystal Palace. Definitely not. A very, very uh, stark difference from, from Roy Hodgson football. Oh, yeah, to yeah, the absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Say that again. All right, my friend, look after yourself. Talk to you soon. Thank you, George. Appreciate it.